Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. We are coming to you live from Ottawa at the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. We are live from the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference at the Shaw Centre in Ottawa. I've been to this conference many times before, although not in several years. Like uh, everything else, COVID has killed in-person conferences for the last few years. So this is big. I was talking to uh, Troy Lanigan earlier, who's the president of the Canada Strong and Free Network, the outgoing president, as you'll learn in a moment. And he was saying that this is the best attended conference yet. So lots of people from all over the country are here and talking about a great number of things that are connecting to the conservative movement. And I, I say movement to specify this isn't a, a capital C conservative affair in totality. Now there is obviously a, a huge presence here among conservative members of parliament and also conservative leadership candidates, notably the debate that was held last night, co-moderated by Candace Malcolm, my colleague at True North, and also Jamil Giovanni, who's the incoming president of the Canada Strong and Free Network. And if you didn't catch the debate yet, I would encourage you to watch it because it, it was truly fantastic how a lot of issues that you don't normally hear about when the mainstream media is framing the narrative were front and center and specifically the convoy not the freedom convoy as this you know radical white supremacist neo-nazi hate fest uh, or the russian-backed <laughs> insurrection but the convoy as a reflection of canadian frustration with the status quo in Canada, with vaccine mandates, with vaccine passports. And it was interesting seeing how uh, in this debate, the Freedom Convoy, there was a one-upsmanship about it of, no, I supported it first, no, I supported it first. Leslin Lewis and Pierre Polyev, notably, were, were going back and forth on who was the, uh, the greatest of the truck whisperers, so to speak. And I think that was a, a tremendously important point because this was a, a convoy that, as many of you watching this show know, resonated with a lot of Canadians, not just conventionally conservative Canadians, and that's why it's been so important, I think, to see this uh, really in a position where Pierre Polyev was compared, was comparatively loose-lipped about how supportive he was. And I mean that in a good way, saying, yeah, I support the truckers. My position hasn't changed. That's what I stand for. So I know there's going to be a lot of stuff about the debate in the days ahead. And we've also done some interviews with a few of the leadership candidates that we'll share with, uh, share with you in the days ahead. But first, I wanted to put, put the spotlight on the conference itself. You know, almost a thousand people from across the country gathered here today to discuss the state and future of the conservative movement. I have to talk about this at first with Troy Lanigan. Uh, Troy Lanigan, outgoing president of the Canada Strong and Free Network. Good to talk to you. Good to be here. So let's start with the elephant in the room. Are you happy to never have to put another one of these on? <laughs> they are a lot of work leading up to it, but it's certainly rewarding once you're at the event and it's happening and seeing everybody and boy, the energy in that room last night and just, you know, looking out on stage when I introduced everyone and seeing that room packed is makes all the work worthwhile, very rewarding. Yeah, I mean, I know the conference and previously the, the Manning Conference, its, it's former iteration, has always prided itself on, on being the conservative movement conference, not a conservative party conference. But, but in a leadership race, which the Conservative Party of Canada is in the midst of right now, there's always a lot more of a focus on the intersection of those two yep. and, and the conservative movement and the conservative party. You, you actually got to set the tone by having the first debate here. What was your thought on, on that? Um, Look, it, it is it is big C and it's small C. It's mostly a movement-based conference, but obviously 
this year was a unique opportunity to do that debate, so we were happy to be able to host it. And look, it's good for the big C and small C to talk to each other, and especially for the big C to understand there's this ecosystem out there of movement organizations um, from right across the country, and those relationships we have, you know, this conference helps to establish, and they're important relationships. And obviously you had, I mean, just to deal with one of the glaring things, you had one candidate missing who then uh, the next day Patrick Brown sent out uh, an email basically kind of mocking the debate and saying yeah. it wasn't a real debate. I mean, what was your sense of that? Uh, disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And he was invited. He was invited. He Patrick was Brown. absolutely invited and we wanted him uh, to attend. But, I mean, I... I mean, this is, the, this is the movement conference in the country each year. If you're running for conservative leader and five of the six, five of the six candidates are prepared to show up, you probably missed the boat somewhere. Explain to me where you think going out as president of the, the Canada Strong and Free Network, the conservative movement in this country is. Because we've seen a lot of fracturing. I know you're from BC, but in Ontario, we've got a very, disu I shouldn't say very, but a, a mar marginally disunited conservative movement because you've got these spin-off parties. Certainly at the federal level, we had the People's Party, which did a lot better in the last election than it did in the election prior. So what's your general assessment looking from that 30,000 foot view perspective on, on where the movement well, is? Look, I, I always go back and I'm dating myself, but when I graduated university in 1990, there was the Fraser Institute, there was the National Citizens Coalition. There has been an explosion of an ecosystem of, of conservative free market libertarian groups across the country. And I've, I've sort of lived through that and participated through it. So, and they are so important. That ecosystem is so important to, you know, to developing policy and attitudes in the public because that's where the real battles are. It's where the public is at in sentiment. Politicians, in my view anyway, follow, um, follow public sentiment. And so that this ecosystem of organizations is so important. And that has really exploded over the last 20 to 30 years uh, in this country, importantly. And it's represented here. If you go down the halls, we've got, you know, we sold out all our exhibitor booths, so many different organizations uh, represented here, and that's exciting. And this is the one event in Canada, once a year, that everyone gets together, whether you're socially conservative, whether you're more libertarian, this is the broad cross-section of the movement. And I think also there's just a, a great point here about how all of these groups have come together after two years of not being able yeah. to have these sorts of conferences. So I know there, I mean, a part of it is I think people would go to like a frozen food convention now, but <laughs> you've also done a, a tremendous amount to, to really rebuild and energize a movement that, again, for the last couple of years, especially on the COVID issue, has been very challenging. Yeah. So Well, we've been, we've been online the last couple of years. Yeah. But, you know, I knew in my emails, in my texts, in the phone conversations, I just sensed that there was a buzz. Um, you know, 700 is usually the maximum we've ever had at this event. We sold 904 tickets wow. last night. So that is a reflection that everyone was just so ready to get together in person. And you just sensed a real upbeat attitude and vibe last night. And it continues on today in the hallways. It's great. So what's next for you? Uh, I'm staying with the Manning Foundation. There's two organizations. This is the former Manning Center that now Jamil's going to be taking over and leading. Um, at the Manning Foundation, which, which has a set of activities and, and working with Preston, so I'll be staying involved with that. Secondstreet.org is another organization I'm involved with. I'll be spending more time with that and some consulting work and different things. I will be involved. I'm a mo dedicated movement activist my whole life, and that won't change. All right, well, it's not political retirement then. Uh, <laughs> Troy, great to see you as always. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Andrew.
That's great. I always love talking to Troy. I mean, I know I love talking to Jamil as well, as evidenced by the fact that I am about to do exactly that. But there is has a very much a, a torch passing moment here as Troy steps back into his role now with the Manning Foundation and leaves this uh, body here, the Canada Strong and Free Network, formerly the Manning Center, uh, to do the work moving forward, including putting on this conference, which I'm assuming is no easy undertaking. I've put together events and I know that something of this size takes a lot of time to put together. One thing that I, I think really struck me about what Troy was saying there, and it goes back to the Patrick Brown issue. Patrick Brown made a determination for whatever reason. Maybe he was afraid of going to the debate. Maybe he genuinely thinks he can get more votes selling memberships in Atlantic Canada, whatever the case is. But he didn't want to be in a room with conservatives, with movement conservatives. Is it that he doesn't want to take the questions? Is it that he doesn't want to be in the audience? Is it that he doesn't like the audience? I don't know, and I'm not going to speculate, but it was, it was very interesting to see how he responded. I'm going to read the email that I mentioned with Troy that came from Patrick Brown's team today. He says, did you watch last night's debate? Media are saying I won it last night. That's because I was in Atlantic Canada growing our party where we need to win the next election. The debate was a two-hour shouting match full of interruptions, mistruths, and over-the-top attacks designed to score cheap social media sound bites. I'm sure Justin Trudeau loved every second of it, but I didn't, and I doubt you did either. Now, I've talked to a lot of people here who said they did like the debate, and what they didn't like is Patrick Brown doing his Monday morning quarterbacking for a debate that he never participated in. Now, as many of you know, I'm hosting a debate on May 30th uh, that the Independent Press Gallery is putting together, and Patrick Brown's been invited. He's not yet confirmed. In fact, I should point out that Pierre Polyev has not yet confirmed either. Neither has Scott Aitchison. That's going to be coming up. We want them to be there. And the message has always been that if you are not prepared to sell your ideas to an audience of conservatives in a leadership race, are you going to be willing to do that when you are in a general election? And that was the big frustration with Aaron O'Toole. A lot of people heard him say all the right things in the leadership race, talking to conservatives, but when it came time for the general election, was nowhere to be found, wasn't sitting down with independent media, wasn't talking about the flagship red meat conservative issues that defined his leadership campaign. And a lot of people still remember that. And I think the leadership race now is happening in the shadow of that. I want to talk about this a little bit more. We'll break down the debate and also talk about the future of the Canada Strong and Free Network with Jamil Giovanni. Jamil, it is uh, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming today. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, great to be with you. And obviously, this is a, a big moment, the handoff from one president to the other of this organization, but also, I think just the place of this conference itself right now in the conservative leadership race, you and, and my colleague Candace Malcolm co-hosted that debate last night. What were your thoughts on it looking back? Well, you know, we wanted to give the candidates a chance to present their ideas and also show some contrast, and I think they did that. You know, they got into it, especially uh, Sheree and Polyev, I think really showed a difference in, uh, at least in, in tone, style, but also in how they, I think they would approach leading the party. Uh, so I was happy with that. I, I think the viewers got a better sense of who each of these uh, individuals are who are asking to be prime minister one day, right? And uh, that's the hope of the debate is that the audience gets a sense of, is this someone I trust to actually lead my country? And, you know, there are times where a lot of folks might think, oh, is it, does that matter that much who the prime minister is? With Justin Trudeau, I think we've seen it does matter, right? <laughs> you know, the prime minister can make a big difference. And so I think it's an important thing to have a debate like this. Yeah, one thing, I've had this conversation with Candace previously as well. A lot of these debates are really focused 
in ways that are predicated on left-wing premises, or, or at least not conservative premises, and they aren't always asking the questions that matter to conservatives who are voting in this leadership race. Last night's debate, I thought, was a tremendous exception to that, because you were talking about the things that certainly I, as someone in conservative media, knows are, are exactly what people are talking about. You know, things like the convoy, things like oil and gas. So going into that, I would hope that these politicians who have put on record very conservative positions will not forget that they've put on record conservative positions. That's has happened in the past with leaders. Yeah, it's a matter of fairness and democracy, I think, that people who you know pay for membership in a political party, vote for a politician, they deserve to be represented. Yeah. And I think a lot of conservatives have gotten used to not being represented, that somehow we vote for someone to be our leader, and as what happened with Aaron O'Toole, for example, then that person just kind of becomes completely sort of mainstream liberal uh, the moment they want to appeal to a different set of voters. And I just don't think that's fair. And so. I do hope, as you do, that uh, conservatives who have given to this party their time, their money, their uh, hopes, their dreams for the country, you know, that they actually get represented in this process. I think that's a key part of democracy. Looking at the Canada Strong and Free Network, this is obviously an organization that's been through a branding change in the last few years. Before that, it was the, the Manning Center and then the Manning Networking Conference here. Uh, Preston Manning, he's walking around. He's still very much active and very much involved. I've seen him like 17 times today. Uh, but he is part of an older generation of the conservative movement that might not resonate or be known or as well known to, to younger people. You're coming in at the helm of this organization as a young person. How do you keep the Canada Strong free network and the conservative movement relevant to that new generation? Well, the key thing I, I believe is really one, creating the intergenerational dialogue, because a lot of it is about the wisdom, the traditions of, con of conservative uh, politicians and leaders being able to pass that on to younger people who are not going to get it through the schools, they're not going to get it through mainstream media. It really is going to come to generations learning to communicate with each other. That's one of the great things about someone like Preston. You know, he spends a lot of time with me, he shares his stories of what happened, you know, in the 90s, what happened in the 80s, and it's great for me to learn that. And I want to create that same experience for a lot of other Canadians, uh, you know, millennials, Zoomers, people who are out there thinking, I'm a conservative, I believe in some of these ideas, but I don't know how to actually get plugged into this movement that's been around for decades. So I think that's a big part of our challenge is how do we bring these different generations into the same room? Today has been a good example of that. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the generational diversity, but I think we can do a lot more and do a lot better um, as we bring more people into different leadership roles. So that's one thing I want to do that I'm excited about. Another thing is just showing people how we apply conservative principles to solve problems of today's generation. And the more we do that, whether it's things like housing, cost of living, uh, parental rights, all sorts of different issues, I think that's also how we speak to a younger generation and recognize that the problems are changing, but the solutions might be the same. Yeah, one thing that's always struck me is that there are a lot of people that are very, I mean, you see this in different cultural communities as well, and I'd say also age demographics, people who are very receptive to the conservative message, but they can't get over that, you know, fact that conservative has been a bad word all their lives, or, or you know, being conservative is not something you're allowed to be in certain lines of work, in certain age groups, in certain religious and cultural communities. So there is a branding exercise there, but at the same time, I, I think how you message it is different from what you believe. And, and I think oftentimes conservative politicians go for the easy road out of let's just change the beliefs or let's dilute the beliefs. Yeah, and I think that's just uh, 
just dead wrong. I mean, to yeah. be honest with you, I think one of the words that doesn't come up enough is authenticity. And the more authentic conservatives are, the more open we are with our beliefs, the better we're going to connect with people and the better our values and our message are going to resonate. And I think that's what people want more than anything else. So I, w I would say, you know, the more we try to hide things or dilute things, water down, become liberal light, or as I like to say, liberals with aspartame, I just, <laughs> I don't think we're going to get anywhere. I like that, liberals aspartame. All right. Uh, well, that you're no aspartame at the Canada Strong and Free Network conference moving forward. Well, I know you've got to like start planning for the next conference, which yeah. is probably a big part of your job, but congratulations Thank and you. great work in the debate as well. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Jamil. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Jamil and I, as I've said to other people, are like talk, corporate talk radio refugees. We worked for different companies, but we both had uh, very similar issues, albeit for different reasons, and he's been very forthright about his. So I would encourage you to look up what uh, Jamil has said about that. In the meantime, I want to talk about the movement conservatism thing here, because a lot of people in this country don't understand the difference between small C conservatism and big C conservatism and there's quite a significant difference because you can put a capital C on the most liberal policies imaginable but say well we're a conservative party it's conservative you can put on as I think Pierre Polyev said about Jean Charest in the debate anyone can put on a blue shirt small c conservatism is ideological you can't hide from your philosophical identity of what you believe and what you're prepared to advocate for and I should say, I mean, the conservative movement more broadly includes, I would argue, the People's Party, the Christian Heritage Party, some of the new upstart provincial parties we're seeing, especially in Ontario, which is in the midst of a provincial election campaign now. The conservative movement is bigger than a party, and I would say it's essential to pull a party back to its roots. And, and I think groups like uh, formerly the Manning Centre and other advocacy groups as well, like the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, for example, are very important because you need an organization or a network on the right to remind politicians of where they're supposed to be if they're ostensibly conservative politicians. And remember, John O'Sullivan, who's a fantastic writer, he has what he's coined O'Sullivan's First Law, and he says any institution that's not explicitly right-wing will over time become left-wing. And the, the implication there, and I think history bears this out, is that there's just this natural leftward drift in institutions. And I would expand that to individuals in politics too. So if you don't have a group reminding them, these are the roots, these are the philosophical foundations, these are the things you've said previously when you were uh, dancing around being a conservative, then you're only going to allow those values to be abandoned. So I think the conservative movement needs to be strong so that conservatism is reflected in political parties. And I, I, obviously the Conservative Party of Canada is the largest party that's trying to occupy this space. So I don't want to break down the debate uh, too much from last night. I want to talk more broadly about this. And, and one of the gentlemen who has done many of these conferences in the past and has been an advocate for the conservative movement is Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. Premier, I know you've been to many of these conferences before. Obviously the conservative movement, the conservative party, well represented here, and the intersection of those two with a leadership race. What's your assessment, I mean, moving outside of your role as Premier for a moment, just with the state of the conservative movement in this country right now? Well, I think it's, uh, it's a challenging moment. And uh, for a number of reasons, obviously three federal election losses has caused some demoralization and concern about the future. Um, but uh, I, I'll tell you, I sense, a, 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 despite that, a sense of optimism here. Maybe it's just old friends reconnecting for the first time since oh, over at least two or three years. Uh, and it's great to see uh, so many folks. 
I also think that we see a lot of interesting things happening at the provincial level. I mean, there's there's seven centre-right provincial governments in this in this country. Uh, I think some of them are, I would argue ours, are, we're doing some very important um, conservative ref policy reforms and innovations. Um, I do think though COVID, let's be honest, COVID has, has divided a lot of conservatives. Um, understandably, uh, you know, the, these centre-right provincial governments had to bring in restrictions that none of us wanted to, but we had to because of limited healthcare capacity and that's upset some, some conservatives and more on the libertarian side of the spectrum. I hope we can put that behind us, learn some lessons and move forward. When you look at the leadership race, and I'm not going to ask you to play the, the role of pundit here, but just as Premier of Alberta in a field of candidates that doesn't have anyone that, that's really coming from the West, do you feel that Western issues have been given the attention they need and deserve in this race? Well, it's too early to say. Uh, this thing is going to go for a few more months. I saw the debate last night uh, here at the conference, and there was, I thought, a fair bit of focus on Alberta in particular and energy issues. I'd like to see that. Um, and I think all the candidates are saying the right things uh, in terms of support in principle for oil and gas, for natural resource development, for the West, respect uh, for the West and its role in the Federation. Um, and I appreciate that. Uh, so, I, I, you know, it would be nice to hear a little more detail from perhaps from some of the candidates. But uh, I think you know, the federal conservative party understands the central role of the West in the Federation, the reasons for Western alienation and how Trudeau has damaged so deeply the resource industries that are so big in Western Canada. Obviously, when it comes to provincial autonomy, one of the most forceful voices against the federal government's invocation of the Emergencies Act, certainly as far as premiers go, is yourself. What's the status of that, of how you would like as premier and Alberta as a government would like to push for accountability on that? So we're the only government in Canada that is actually suing the Trudeau government for its invocation of the Emergencies Act uh, through a application for intervener status in the cases filed by the Canadian Constitution Foundation and the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And we're doing so because, well, first of all, we think it was a massive overreach and a, an unnecessary violation of people's uh, civil liberties. But secondly, it was also an intrusion into provincial mm -hmm. jurisdiction. I said to Justin Trudeau when he consulted the premiers on using it, I said, well, if you're going to do that, don't do it in Alberta. Like, if you feel you need to, do, if you, the Premier of Ontario wants you to bring it in to deal with the situation in Ottawa, I suppose that's between you and him. But we don't need this in Alberta. In fact, he consulted us the day after the RCMP had uh, dealt, had a tactical operation dealing with some potentially violent uh, people at the Coots border crossing. And my point was that police uh, uh, operation was done and the situation was resolved using normal um, legal powers, normal policing. We didn't need these extraordinary powers. We didn't need to freeze people's bank accounts arbitrarily in order to stop an illegal blockade at the border. So we didn't need it. It was massive overreach and, and normally policing, of course, is provincial jurisdiction. I think it's an in, in, intervention into pr provincial jurisdiction as well and we're always on war, uh, guard against that. I know you were a very clear opponent of the trucker vaccine mandate, which is still in effect. At the debate last night, support for the convoy became something of a, of a political football between some of the candidates. How's your view on that? Because you were supportive of the truckers at first. Are you still? Well, I, w I was always in support. I'm, of course, I'm in support of truckers and acknowledge the amazing things they've done to keep our economy rolling. But specifically the truckers that protested in Ottawa. I was supportive of their message, which was opposition to the pointless vaccine passport uh, mandate to go into the U.S. and back. 
Um, and a lot of their, a lot of other other messages. I don't support illegal blockades, uh, and I I believe that lawmakers should not support lawbreakers. Um, I don't think that's a contentious view, and uh, I, I've always thought that c people could have and should have made their point passionately through legal protest methods. Um, and I don't think that's a difficult nuance to say support much of the message, but not breaking the law and inconveniencing you know, others. And you know, I was just walking through the, the shopping mall here thinking about all of those small businesses and hundreds of workers who were put out of work for three weeks because of that protest. So there were, there were negative social and economic impacts on other people's rights. And I just hope people remember that in the future. Premier, thank you. Thank you, Andrew. That was Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. Now, right now, I should point out, he's in the midst of his leadership review. I think ballots have to be in within a few days from now, so I, I don't think there's much campaigning uh, taking place at this point. But uh, obviously, I appreciate him taking the time to chat. I didn't, I didn't even know, he, no one knew he was going to be here. Uh, Jason Kenney just walked into the main ballroom yesterday with uh, former Ontario Premier Mike Harris, and everyone was just like, oh, Jason Kenney's here, Jason Kenney's here. He was watching the debate from the, uh, the main ballroom. So uh, glad he was able to take some time to join the Andrew Lawton Show again earlier today. That does it for us. We'll have more content from the Canada Strong and Free Networking Conference in the days ahead, including some more analysis and also interviews with some of the leadership candidates. We did invite all of them. That is coming up. But I do thank you very much for tuning in. And to all of you who have been coming up to me and saying hello and getting pictures with me, I don't know why, but I'm so appreciative that you're doing it. It's quite humbling. And I've met a few people that have said they're only here because uh, they heard about it on True North. So we're so glad you've been doing that. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.